Scott Aaron discovers personal growth by being personable. Today, on Reach. Jason, Garrett, good to see you guys. Hey, man. How are you doing? Good. I'm ready to- it just seems. Oh, sorry, what are you echoey. Does it seem a little echoey? No, I'm, I'm in a room with no carpet and nothing on the wall. That's it. That's probably what it is now. Garrett is in the process of moving, and so his surroundings are looking a little sparse today. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in my house anymore. <laughs> yeah, all I'm left <laughs> with is this plant, this plant, and this statue. That's all I got. <laughs> what is that statue behind you? I don't think I can quite make it out. It's oh, Rodin, the thinker. Man. Nice. Funny story behind this. This office is kind of an homage to my dad a little bit, not like a shrine. But before I knew what ABM was, at the agency that he owned that I worked at, we used to do basically ABM stuff where we worked for oil and gas companies and they wanted to make these like executive level connections, right? So we would come up with ideas like this, for instance. You know, we'd send this in a wooden box to an executive and they'd put it on their desk and there was like a message behind it about, you know, let's get together, let's put our minds together, let's think together kind of thing. And so... We had a whole bunch of these. And so I, I took it and I'm like, I'm going to keep that. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And so then there's like art on the walls from dad. And you know, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful place. That's cool. When did um, your dad get started, by the way, like in advertising? Like in uh, 1980. And, and what did he like the most about it? Like, uh, so like, he was like just a big idea guy. He did tons of logos. And wrote tons of headlines. Like when you watch Mad Men and you see those like client interactions where he just on the spot coming up with just simple, impactful ideas. That was it. Like it was amazing actually just to see how easily ideas just flowed out of him. I think that's one thing that I didn't understand until I worked with him is it's not the hoarding of ideas that gets you more ideas. Yeah. It's push. the release of them. Right. And yeah. and when you release ideas, something has to fill that vacuum. So yeah, it was, um, it was a real experience. I'll tell you, man, we worked like two and a half feet away for like 12 years. It was crazy. So you guys didn't see each other for 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was kind of interesting because like, I didn't have that parallel where, you know, I'm, I want to go and be Sell my coffee. dad. You know yeah. what I mean? I was, I was yeah. actually probably thought this. I don't want yeah. to be like my dad yeah. in a way, you know? Yeah. But did you have that feeling or? So I was or... like him. That was really yeah. weird. Like it was mm-hmm. just like we were two, two of the same. So at times it was really mm-hmm. frustrating, but mm-hmm. What was interesting I found is we had different like client management styles. That's kind of where we diverged, right? And we kind of worked at like an Abbott and Costello team, which was good (laughs) because you kind of needed the, the back and forth, the yin and the yang. Yeah. Personality differences can be a good thing. We can compliment one another. Um, I want to circle back on this relationship between you and your dad, but this is exactly what our story contributor highlighted in his personal experience. Our guest this week is Scott Aaron. He's a marketing and podcast host as well of the pod Networking and Marketing Made Simple. He's a professional coach, maybe best known for his expertise on LinkedIn. He wrote a book about it called The LinkedIn Book for Sales and Marketing. But he chose to tell us a story from his distant past that took place long before LinkedIn or his online venture started. Scott Aaron's story starts with his dad. My father had always been and still is an entrepreneur to this day. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. 
my grandfather, my great-grandfather. He was a butcher in South Philadelphia. My grandfather owned his own pharmacy. My dad followed in his footsteps, had his own pharmacy called Scott's Pharmacy after I was born. And then he owned various industrial-based businesses. One was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and the other was in Philadelphia. My father ended up breaking partnership and sold his shares to his business partner in 1996. And for a good number of years, he partnered with a physical rehabilitation company owner. The premise of the business was to find fitness clubs that needed an on-staff company that provided physical rehabilitation services chiropractor, physical therapy, those types of things. And outside looking in, things were going great. There were multiple locations. My father didn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders being the business owner. And we were living a great life. But all of that kind of came to a screeching halt. The summer leading into my sophomore year of college, my sister was going into, I believe, 10th grade. We're three years apart. And as my family always did, we had backyard barbecues, just the four of us, and we were barbecuing. My dad said, listen, we need to have a family conversation, which was not out of the ordinary. We were a very open family. But my dad said that he was leaving the physical rehabilitation company, and he was going to be working for a chiropractic company. And the reason for him leaving was that the company that he was previously working for was under investigation by the federal government for a $9.5 million insurance fraud case. So my dad was cooperating, but he said, because I was involved in this company, there is a chance I may get house arrest. That in itself was a huge shock to our systems because my father lived a very stand-up and accountable life. He was not a criminal. And to hear the opposite side of things, it was uh, it was a very interesting space to be in. About six months into the process, the chiropractic firm that he was working for, unfortunately, had to let him go. They said, listen, we told the federal government, you're great, we have no issues, but Legally, we had to let you go. So my dad was like, okay, what do I do now? But they did say there's an opportunity here. There's a a gym in Philadelphia that's not doing well. The owner is pricing it to sell. And you should take a good hard look at this because if things don't work out well with this lawsuit and with federal government, you're going to want something to leave the family to produce income so you guys can continue moving forward. My dad, he'd always been a fitness buff, always worked out, was an all-natural competitive bodybuilder. So it wasn't out of my father's scope to take over a fitness club. That was one of his passions. So they worked out a great deal. My two grandfathers helped my father fund this. And my dad was there from the minute the gym opened at 5 to the minute it closed at 11 p.m. so he can embed himself in this culture, in this new gym that he was taking over. About four months into the process, my father's sentencing came up. So we were at the courthouse. And I remember a judge, I remember his name, Judge Rombrano. I wrote him a letter stating the positive character traits that my father had, not only as a businessman, but also as a father. And at the end of the sentencing, it wasn't house arrest. 
My father ended up actually getting sentenced to 24 to 36 months in federal prison. So this thought that my father was going to be able to be on house arrest, go to work and come back and things would be somewhat normal until house arrest was over. That script was flipped completely upside down. My father was actually going to federal prison and did serve two and a half years. Now, whose shoulders did it fall on? Mine. I had to leave college at the University of Pittsburgh, re-enroll at community college. I was only able to get 12 credits of the 36 credits transferred from Pittsburgh to Montgomery County Community College. So I was two years in, starting at ground zero as a 19-year-old business owner. I had odds and, and jobs in college and stuff like as the normal teenagers do, but this was my first real business role. And I was still a teenager. I, I hadn't been in the, the real world yet. I hadn't been working for someone. I, I was in the throes of getting my degree in human resources, but at the same time running a business and I was learning from the ground up. My dad is a very personable person, very happy, very outgoing but he's also very serious. He's a very intense guy when he's passionate about something. And I, and I remember that I was trying to make my dad so proud, I would do whatever I could to be just like him. I felt myself so tight-chested because I had to have this persona as being the owner, the respect of being the owner. So when I would interact with members, it was just very serious and it was just guarded. I was afraid to almost let people in to know the real me because I felt like a fish out of water. I was comparing myself to all the other people. They were all big and fit. And I was just like this skinny toothpick. I just felt, felt out of place. So I hated going to the gym. I hated it. It, it just, it wasn't fun. I didn't want to be there. It felt like a chore. Uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It, people go to the gym to decompress and de-stress they were there to have fun and work out and feel and look better. It was supposed to be an escape for them from the real world. And I, I wasn't allowing them to do that. I was still being too serious. It was almost like them still being at work. And I, it didn't have to be that way. My mom would go to visit my dad on Saturdays and my sister and I would go on Sundays. I was getting consulting from him, things we should do, looking at numbers. I think he realized that one of my strengths was uh, I'm an action taker. If something's going to get done, I'm going to get it done that day. I don't procrastinate. I don't twiddle my thumbs. When I would go there on a Sunday and he would give me some things to take back to start working on that week, they would be done. So by the next time I went there Sunday, checklist is done. What do you got for me next? And that's how it was. But I, I realized I wasn't having fun. I remember a day in particular, I said to my dad, dad, I'm trying to do everything you're doing. I'm trying to be exactly who you are, but I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've, I've really never worked out before. And I, I don't know how I can do this. I'm not you. And every parent now being one, all you want to do is see your, your children thrive and just be the best they can. I definitely surprised my father. 
And interestingly enough, about six months ago, I found this letter that my dad wrote me from prison. And he wrote a lot of things in this letter. But the one thing that he did almost highlight is he said, son, you asked me, how am I supposed to be you? How am I supposed to do things as you? And he said, you're not. You need to be yourself. You need to let people fall in love with who you are, not with who you're trying to be. And that really stuck with me because I was resisting being myself, wanting to be liked and appreciated. It kind of gave me this sense of clarity, but also comfort knowing that I could just be myself. I didn't have to be my dad. I didn't have to do things as him. We can be our own individuals. And that really allowed me to grow in the ways that I needed to. When I got that permission to just be me, I remember walking into the gym and I started to realize that this gym wasn't clean, wasn't fancy. I mean, it was very rustic, but people didn't pay for that. They paid for us. They paid knowing that they can go to this gym and ham it up with Howard and Scott and Nancy and their cousin David and all the trainers. We all brought something different to the table. And this is what culture and environment is all about. People invest in you as the person. So after speaking to my dad, I realized, okay, I just got to be me. And then I started having fun, which meant they all started having fun too. I really started to develop some deep connections with the members because I was a sociable person, very talkative, very inquisitive. I loved asking questions. That's so important as a business owner because you want to find out things from your members, things from prospective clients. I remember a day in particular during the summer of 99 or 2000, and I said to my dad, listen, I'm going to do a one-day special for the summer. It was June. We were in the heart of Philadelphia. So I went on and opened up Microsoft Word, and I made some fancy document. Joined today, $99 for the summer. I grabbed the stool from our juice bar, and I sat outside the front door. So when people would walk by it, give them a flyer. Hey, you know, we have a one-day special. I'd love to give you a tour of the gym and show you around. And every tour that I gave was different. If you were to walk in the gym, I would say, hey, what are some things that you want to achieve? What are you struggling most with? And whatever your answer would be, I would then direct the tour of the gym towards your exact needs because like, oh, you know, here's my problem. Scott's gym has the solution. Yeah, I want to sign up. I sold 30 memberships that day. So we brought an extra $3,000 into the company and we really became fixtures of, of the neighborhood. It was just an amazing environment. My mom used to say it was the cheers of gyms. Everybody knew your name. My mom would pass recipes back and forth with the members if she found a healthy recipe that she was making for us. So it really became a giant family. I definitely surprised my father because when I took over the gym, there was around 400 members. And by the time he came back home, we had over 1,200. I had 3X the membership. So when he came back home, we opened up a second location. That two and a half years that my dad was away, it was exactly what I needed because by the time my father came out of prison, I was almost 22 years old. And I did a lot of growing up in those three years. 
I would say that experience itself, my, my father going to federal prison, forcing me into this role of business owner was the most positive thing that could have ever happened to me because I wouldn't be here today talking to you if those things didn't happen the way that they did and allow me to get to where I am today. Something that I live by is the way that you do one thing is the way that you do everything. Whether that's life, business, personal relationships, it's all got to be a reflection of who we are as human beings. And I honestly, multiple times in my life, on a personal and professional level, I would get lost because I forgot about my grassroots. I forgot about the foundations that I had worked so hard on as a young man and as a young adult. My wife always talks about you can't see the label from inside the bottle. You have to get outside of it. And you know the adage, sometimes you have to slow down in order to speed up. Life doesn't wait. Time doesn't wait and business doesn't wait. If you continue to stay in your head and you don't get into your heart and realize why you're doing what you're doing, the business is never going to move forward. As that 19-year-old kid, it, it took that conversation with my dad to bring my head above water. I started doing online marketing five years before I left the fitness industry. But what I learned 20 plus years ago helped us grow and scale our company to help people now in the online space. And much like the gym, what I do now does not feel like a job. It doesn't feel like work. I get to do what I do each day. So for me, it's really going back and remembering I'm still that 19-year-old kid. I'm still that happy go lucky, inquisitive person. And as long as I don't ever let go of that, we're going to have a successful business no matter what the venture is. When he talked about this responsibility and this persona he felt like he had to fill, it really resonated with me because I worked for my dad. My dad owned an advertising agency and I was an art director and working with teams and creating ideas and working on the work, you know, and then overnight, my dad gets diagnosed with cancer. He's in the hospital, multiple surgeries. And all of a sudden I go from the idea guy to now working on the business. Whereas before it was like ad ideas and, and, you know, campaign ideas. And now it's like revenue and expenses and leasing agreements, <laughs> stuff like that. And it was just a, a very interesting shift. And so I resonated exactly what Scott went through is basically airdropped into this position where he really had to, in that time, find his own voice to kind of move forward. Do you feel like you grew in the same ways that Scott did? I feel like I, I, I recognized what I hated to do and what I love to do. That, that was maybe the growth for me is understand, you know, cause there's always this maybe romanticism around being the owner. Yeah. And what I realized is I'm probably not that guy. There's no it, romance to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm better doing the work. And what I actually grew in was my understanding of what the owner does. And he had some guidance too, right? Like his dad was somewhat accessible, right? Totally. Like, you know, it sounds like his dad was quite a capable man. So to live up to that, maybe it helped him to embrace a little bit more of who he is and lean yeah. into that to see that potential. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that authenticity to realize that it's okay in business to be you. That's why people are there. That's why they're in the room is because of you. They're hiring you for you. That's what I learned. 
what am I actually good at? That's what people will hire me for. Yeah, ironically, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day because he works for a recruitment firm and he was talking about how so many recruiters make the mistake of focusing on skills, funneling like thousands of candidates down based on their education and their experience. But you can have a person that fits all those criteria and if they're a jerk, none of that matters. So he was saying that, you know, focusing on cultural fits, who that candidate is as a person is the important thing because all that other stuff can be trained essentially. Yeah, in a similar way. I mean, that about recruiting that it, it's more people skills or people will say soft skill based or value based fit. And it, to, to me, in terms of like an account base, maybe it's just being more personal, right? Like for Scott, it was about identifying what value he was able to bring from a personal level rather than maybe just the tasks that he could have got from dad or living up to how dad did it. Maybe that came from a place of like just him understanding himself first. Yeah. You were earlier talking, Garrett, about the things in your office that remind you of your dad and the culture that he created. Why did you keep that thinking man in particular? Why is that one of the few things that you still have in your office right now? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think it. The, the reality is, is that it was like a total tie-in of like, his professional life, a client win, and his personal like interests and ideas. And he brought everything together in this one idea. And the client bought it. Maybe we're, and to be honest, I haven't really thought about why, why did I keep that all the, why is it out in my office, you know, kind of thing. But it's, that's maybe it. It's like, it kind of just encapsulates everything, you know, yeah. about him. Yeah. You know, that thinking, man, I have some art on the walls that he did. Every time I see it, there's this memory. The whole journey kind of comes back to me. And this is something I took from Scott's story, too, is it seems like he continues to be reminded and it continues to teach him. And so maybe this goes back to why do people actually hire you? Yeah. And it's for that, right? It's for that piece of you. <laughs> Right. Yeah, like that's yeah. what they want. That's what they're buying, you know? And so mm -hmm. it's okay to put yourself in your work and maybe who you are as a human being is, is, is present there. And that authenticity resonates. Yeah. That's a really good point, right? Because when we think about professional relationships, we almost always focus on our skill set, but the skills that we have are not unique to us. Are we the only people that can? design something or market something or create a podcast. No, there are thousands of people that can do those same things just as well, if not better than us. But the only thing we have to offer that's really unique is who we are. Mm -hmm. And often that's what people are drawn to or what makes them want to work with us. And so what I realized through this conversation is who you are is actually a collection of all those experiences, right? And if you don't talk about them if you don't remember them if you try and forget them or at least don't value them is who you are really coming through well we'd like to thank scott aaron for contributing his story to our show this week if you'd like to learn more about scott we'll have lots of links in the show notes at reachabm.com In our next episode, we'll follow the story of an entrepreneur who took a leap of faith in the world of crypto and came away with a lesson about community. 
What does it mean to foster community? And how do you influence a culture? Be sure to join us next time on REACH.